and welcome back to another exciting episode of DSLR Film New Podcast. Mitch from Planet 5D joins me today to discuss all kinds of stuff. Mitch, what have you been up to, man? Hey, I've been I've been doing all sorts of fun stuff with keyboard shortcuts for new sound effects. That's what I've been doing. Wow. Uh, Sounds exciting. I was it was really exciting. And last week, by the way, since I wasn't here, I apologize to everybody. I was with my daughter getting her wisdom teeth taken out. Yay! That's a lot of fun. Uh, it's the days and days after that's really fun. Ah. <laughs> you have a kid running around uh, doped up on medication? Yeah, yeah. Now we've had to, you know, like take her off of it so that uh, she's not becoming a drug addict and escalating to heroin and, and crack and everything else. So, you know, wow. fun stuff. <laughs> it's it's kind of sad because I was I, I came I was in in the car listening to AM radio the other day. And there was a commercial for some anti-drug thing. And this poor woman comes on and talks about how her son just died of a drug overdose. And she wants all parents to be aware of it. And it started because, yes, he was addicted to the painkillers after having his wisdom teeth taken out. And so I'm like, oh, no, I'm all paranoid. Anyway. <laughs> wow, I've never heard of that being a thing. <sighs> yeah. On my end, they actually missed me too because I was getting my service upgraded. Uh, hopefully, I am shinier and cleaner now. I've gone over to the dark side with Comcast Xfinity. Uh -oh. and now I have 150 down and 15 up. So hopefully, uh, my bandwidth issues will relinquish. Uh, my wife is now using her own dedicated 40 and 5 internet, and this is mine for the taking. Wow. That's very nice of her. <laughs> it's also, uh, also more expensive, but that's a whole nother issue. Yeah, right. they got me in with one of those like $39 for two years lock-in deals. So, bam, there you go. 39 bucks a month? That's not bad. Uh, it shouldn't be too horrible. But on that note, we've got a lot of news <laughs> to cover. Time okay, for okay, the news. Okay. All right, first thing up is actually the monitor I'm using right now. This is a 42-inch 4K 60 hertz IPS monitor. It'll sell you back about 800 bucks, and it's made by a brand you've never heard of. It's called the Wasabi Mango. Uh, this guy is huge. It's big. It's awesome. And guess what, guys? I can read 12 and 11-point font without my glasses. Look at this. Still doing the read right now, and I can do it without my glasses. Ooh. So I'm going to spin this uh, camera around real quick and show you guys what's going on here. Uh, this thing is massive. Um, th this is huge. Uh, it is 42 inches of iPhone. audio. You're screwed. Yeah, you're, you're missing Sorry. out. Um, oh, there's me. Now, if you're familiar with older uh, 4K panels, and I'm going to spin this back around now, uh, 4K panels in the past have been TN, which means your viewing angle is pretty awful as you start to tilt to the side at about 60 or 70 degrees, uh, things just go really off-colored and purplish. Uh, this is a huge IPS panel, and they're using old LG panels that uh, are like A- minus rating. So this is sort of the same thing that you saw out of Korean monitors uh, like Cat Leap uh, last year and the year before. And this thing is gorgeous. And 800 bucks for an IPS monitor. Uh, Mitch, I know we've been talking about monitors off and on over the last few podcasts, is 42 inches too big, do you think? Or is that all the screen real estate? Uh, 42 inches is huge. Uh, I'm not sure what I would do with all of that. Uh, you, Your mouse hand must be going really crazy because you've got to do a lot of mousing to get from corner to corner, right? Uh, yeah, it's uh, the same amount of mousing as on any 4K panel because of the amount of real estate. So that doesn't really change. Oh, well, so so my 27-inch iMac with the 5K monitor is the same amount of mousing. Oh, okay, so I feel all right. Yeah. Um, it's compact. Yeah, one of the things is the, for me, going higher DPI didn't really help because text and things like that got really small. Uh, getting a monitor that has 4K worth of resolution with no bezels is what really helps me out. I don't like having those edges in between my monitors. And with this, man, I do have to look up. I find myself, and if you look at my screen setup right now, um, I can share my screen with you guys. I have, I've been doing this. 
So um, you find yourself, since you look at the lower level of the screen, that you end up putting all of your windows kind of at the bottom of the screen because that's where your eye level is. And then when you have something right. else, you actually kind of crane your neck up towards the top in order to see the corners of different things. Uh, I find it a lot more convenient than my old 27-inch 4K panel, but uh, man, it is nice. It looks beautiful. It's IPS, and it's $800 or less. Um, there are two flavors of this. Uh, there's an HDMI 2.0 version as well as an HDMI 1.4 version. If you're not familiar with that, I've got specs for HDMI 2.0 in the show notes. Basically, 1.4 and below, you're limited to 30 hertz refresh rate. This is a 60 hertz monitor. And there is also a firmware upgrade that allows for uh, FreeSync. So if you're an NVIDIA user, like Mitch is because he has a Mac product, you can actually vary your frame rates between, I think it's like 42 and 60 hertz. So if you're gaming, that is a little bit of a window, about 18 frames per second that you can bounce around in. Uh, otherwise, man, beautiful monitor, really enjoying it, well worth the investment. Hopefully this will be my monitor for the next three to four years. Uh, color setup was pretty easy on this guy, and I love it. I love this monitor from Korea. So good job, Wasabi Mango. <laughs> Mitch, you want to know anything about this before we move on? Well, I was intrigued. The HDMI 2.0, which is, I think this is the first time I've heard anybody talk about HDMI 2.0. So did you have to do anything differently or did you just plug it in? Do you have the same cables? Okay, so only newer graphics cards really are compatible with HDMI 2.0. So if you have a GTX 970 or 980 or newer, you know, like the 980 Ti or something like that, uh, those are compatible with HDMI 2.0 output. Uh, it's the same cable itself. The interface is exactly the same, but it's the standard that both card, or card and monitor set up for on their ports. So there isn't really much in the way of cabling. Um, honestly, I use DisplayPort, so the HDMI 2.0 really doesn't affect me at all. But a lot of people are excited to start using it because it's a skinnier, lower-profile cable than you get with a DisplayPort cable. Yeah, I'm I'm pleased to say to see to hear that uh, they're using the same cable. They get a little bit of a round of applause for that because, you know, we hate buying new cables, right? Exactly. Um, other features to mention on this guy are the uh, USB 3.0 hub that's built into the back. You do spend a little bit more money on the HDMI 2.0 with the USB hub. The other weird thing that comes with this guy, and I've got it right here. It's not a TV because it doesn't have a tuner, but it does have a remote. <laughs> and the Good remote grief. is in Korean, so you're trying to use it it's basically <laughs> it's a paperweight you know um well, it's supposed to be icons right you know the icons will tell you what they do yeah well the, the power button that's fairly universal okay. but there's two power buttons as you can see one blue and one red so i don't know what the other one does exactly and then you know uh some of this other stuff not sure 100 percent what it's supposed to accomplish but it's got buttons on there um, mostly there's power buttons, volume buttons, and all that on the back of the monitor itself. The built-in speakers aren't amazing, but it does have audio pass-through. So if you're using your audio from your graphics card out to your monitor, you can just run a small cable over to your speakers. That's not too bad. It's got 10-watt speakers in it. Uh, not really a TV because there's no tuner inside. Um, it's very thin. The bezel on this guy, and I'll flip this around real quick again so you can see. It's very, very thin. It's it's very wow. petite. You know, gorgeous sides. This is all um, machined aluminum or pressed, whatever. And, you know, not a lot of logos or displays on there. Just this little weird W thing right here. Otherwise, very sexy design, actually. You know, um, I was really impressed with uh, the unit in general. And it looks great. It's very... Uh, deep so the the blacks and the contrast are, are really nice on this going from a tn panel back to ips is like night and day uh yeah. it's gorgeous I, i'm enjoying editing on this i've been working on this uh non-stop for the last uh, week and a half two weeks so really beautiful uh love this monitor that's the wasabi mango 
and there'll be links to that in the show notes. I also have some posts on that coming up shortly. Um, moving on down the line, actually, this oh. one. Yeah. Mitch, I want to throw to you a little bit. This thing is wacky, and I think you and I were talking uh, last time we were together about Canon never doing a little tiny box camera like the uh, Olympus <laughs> Air. And lo and behold, we have the Canon ME20F-SH. This thing is uh-huh. weird, uh, very strange. <laughs> um, what, what's the most weird thing about it? Well, hint, oh, hint. Yeah, cost. Well, <laughs> so the price on this guy right out of the shoot is thirty thousand dollars. Is that correct, Mitch? Yeah, that's crazy. So I think this is designed sort of to compete with the Airy Elixir Mini, which is in the price range of thirty-six to forty-five thousand. Uh, doesn't look like this has the frame rate features that you get out of the Mini, but low light performance. Forty four million. Four million. Yeah, I was about four to say million. forty thousand, but that's not great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, four million. I mean, they're they're aiming this at being a low light king to absolutely trump everything. And we haven't seen any video yet, which is kind of disappointing. Uh, I went rushed over to YouTube the other day looking for some sample video, and Canon hasn't even produced any that I'm aware of. There are a couple of people that slay me that try to say they have sample video, and I'm like, you people have nothing. They're showing you old, crappy video that has nothing to do with this machine just to try to get some views on their stupid channel. Anyway, um, so the the features of this are that it's a full frame sensor, that it's massive mega uh, mass, massive yeah my tongue, I left it in the bed this morning. It's all fuzzy <laughs> and stuff. It's, um, but the the pixels are five times bigger than pixels on a normal full frame sensor so they're big pixels which means of course what more low light performance but yes you win the prize for that one and less megapixel of course very few megapixels right because this is a 2.36 megapixel camera so it's still do 1080 hd it's not going to do 4k because there ain't enough megapixels there for that right yeah. Uh, retort, re- retorts. Oh man, this is going badly. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, records externally, so nothing but outputs there. No, not even an SD card or nothing. Not to mention, there's no monitor, so it's very much like the little black magic boxes, and of course, you know things like the GoPro. Uh, but I found it very interesting because I was like, okay, so their big attraction is. The 4 million ISL, right? Which is, I, I started doing the math this morning before the show, and yes, I, it was, <laughs> it's a miracle that I'm doing any kind of math today. But so the uh, Sony A7S does 484. <laughs> Good Lord, this is bad. Sorry. 480,000 ISO is the top on, on, that camera right okay so you double that because iso is doubled right every every one stop is a doubling of the iso so the next one is nine hundred sixty thousand, then a million nine and then 3.8 million so it's really only three stops better than the a7s isn't that interesting now whether or not there's really low noise is the whole issue Right. Yeah. Now I got to back up on that one real quick. So even though that uh, the a camera is always rated for something crazy, a, high, a way right. high ISO, the usability right. of the Sony A7S, I would argue, is a hundred thousand or less. So you start right. getting above that, sure. and you're you're breaking it down. So right. really, if this is actually good to its full rating, uh, which a lot of people claimed, like the uh, C100 and C300 were good all the way up to their maximum ISO setting. Uh, then this would probably be more like what four or five or six times more. Well, let's see. Uh, now I have to do the math. Uh, right. Se- about like seven times better than the A7S, which is already extremely impressive. I mean, if this gets right. e- even captures color in 
you know that that's what they claim they claim that this is full color night vision better you know so you won't be doing the green night vision stuff and they're aiming this at security people security systems and they say they're going after uh you know naked in the jungle of tv shows the the reality shows that they could have full color nighttime recording for uh those kind of shows what do you call those shows my brain is uh, just reality crazy. shows is Thank what you. you're looking reality for shows. Woo. Uh, so, and but you know are reality shows going to spend thirty thousand dollars per camera for nighttime vision well, um, and really it's more than thirty thousand because they're going to have to have a power system for this guy it looks like you're gonna i mean there's no battery for it you're gonna have to have external recording for that so now right. you have some kind of pack that's going on with this uh, you're talking at least you know two or three grand worth of accessories in order to get this thing up and running plus lenses uh at first, I was thinking, wow, this would be great for drones, but that isn't really the case because at least the Elixir Mini records video internally. This does not. So now, you know, what do you do? You're going to strap your drone down with even more crap. Uh, right. Maybe, you know, since there are ways to detect IR, which is the traditional method for, um, you know, in, or night vision goggles and things like that, maybe with this, you could. Uh, compensate for that and use this and be less easily spotted in the dark if someone is looking for infrared output but yeah i don't know man uh, it's really cool i was thinking more along the lines of um you know animal researchers or something like that you know if you want to find right. out the nightlife of a naked mole rat in the middle of the jungle somewhere you know you bury one of these halfway in the ground and turn it on and let it record in the dark and then see what you get you know yeah Perfect, except it's thirty thousand dollars. Yeah, but research funds, man, they've got all the oh, money. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. The other thing, by the way, I thought it was very interesting because it does say that it can be controlled remotely with Canon's RCV one hundred remote controller. Oh, really? They're bringing that yeah. thing back. Have you ever looked at that sucker? It's twenty four hundred dollars. Is it really? Yes. <laughs> I did not realize it was that expensive. Like Holy cow. So not only you were talking about add-ons, right? You want to re remotely control this sucker. It's another $2,400 just for that. Dang it. Yeah, and I'm looking. You're absolutely right, Mitch, on the megapixel count. What? Uh, 2, I'm absolutely 000, right? 2,000 megapixels is – or um, uh, yeah, well, not – I'm saying that wrong. 2 megapixels is what you need for 1080p. So uh, 2.36, you know, that's pretty much it for the resolution on this guy. You might be able to go up to a little bit bigger than 1080p, you know, 2K, um, if if they really wanted to push it. But, uh, yeah, that looks like the complete limit. I don't see any frame rate information on this. Do you know if this has any high frame rate capabilities, Mitch? No. I, I and I apologize because I don't really remember other than I thought it was 24 and 30. Yeah, all I've seen in the announcement is 24 and 30, so I, I think you're right. right. Gosh, listen to that. I'm, I'm right again. You're that was the wrong one. Today, man. Damn it. <laughs> this is the one I wanted. All right. Anyway, okay, that, this camera is a little goofy. Um, if you have $30,000, you know, let me know how it turns out. Uh, also, yeah. make sure to buy all the accessories. So probably more like 45000 by the time you're done. Still very sexy for Canon and at least something unique from Canon. Maybe we'll see a 5D Mark III in the same format. And I don't know what we'll do with that either. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Enough digs at Canon for now. Um, I want to show this off, and I just got this in. This is the Olympus Air. Uh, this tiny little guy right here is basically a sensor in a box. So all we have is this much space, a micro SD card in the back, a sensor in the front, and I was wondering what this like nub is on these. Turns out it is your focus and photo button. So you don't have to rely on the lag that you get out of your cell phone in order to take a picture with this guy. Now I'm going to, so, I'm sorry. Is that, is that a little button? Is that yeah, what it, that's it, what it is? Like a rubber. So do, yeah. is it like a rocker button that goes back and forth or? Uh, no, it's a, it's a clicker. Just I don't know one if you can hear that clicking. Nope. No, no one can. Okay, of course. Um, well, anyway, yeah, it's a little clicker button on the top. So that was the part that I didn't understand when I was first looking at this because I thought, man, 
if you can only control this via Wi-Fi, you're going to have lots of delays and it's going to be a pain. But it turns out because of this button right here, uh, you can actually control it at full speed. Now, looking at the adapter itself, basically this is a 12 to 40 millimeter f2.8 lens. And you can see that when you put the sensor on the lens, the lens gets the sensor instead of the sensor getting the lens. Um, it's it's much, much smaller than the lens itself. Uh, powering it on, you simply hold this power button right here, and you can listen to focus confirmation, if I have the lens cap off, of course. That looks so weird. Yeah, and it's got an audible uh, photo capture, just so you know that you took the picture. Yeah. So if you don't really want to worry about what you're uh you're gonna freak people out if you go out in public with that and they're like what are you doing man oh and so i haven't figured it out yet but if there's a way to disable the audible click on this that would yeah. be really great for kind of like you know you hold this down somewhere inconspicuous or you know stick it out of your coat jacket and you're just like choo, 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 choo. and they're like what is that and you're like nothing it's just this um, bottle cap i have right here you know don't worry about it uh, it's, it's really for two ninety nine. I would say it's very compelling. I've gone out and already done some shooting with it. And honestly, it kind of reminded me of, remember in the old days, Mitch, when you shot on film and when you were developing, you kind of had that like excitement of what did I shoot, you know, right. and find a gem in whatever collection you were shooting with. Well, shooting with this and not having any sort of visual feedback is kind of that same feel. Like I was shooting on what would be a 35 millimeter equivalent lens on this for an entire afternoon. And you know sort of what that looks like, and you know what your framing's roughly going to be, but you're going around and shooting, and then you just find these gems in your collection of photos. You throw a lot out, of course, but right. for a three or two ninety nine, that's a really fun little thing to accomplish. And then, you know, for mounting or anything else, it's just got a little quarter twenty on the bottom, uh, attaching this to any kind of um, you know rig or whatever stabilization wise. You only have to worry about going forward and backwards because it's symmetrical. So, you know, even though I was thinking about sending this back, this might just be a spare like throw in my bag type of thing because it's so cute, so small, and so cheap. I mean, right. less expensive than a GoPro and probably slightly smaller than a GoPro. Now. The other things to look at on this, and this is a little weird here. So Olympus has actually designed this with multiple layers. Um, if we look right here, you can see that this is where the memory card goes back here. Uh, you've right. got your Wi-Fi on and off switch here. Well, there's a plate that goes over that. So to get to that, you have to take this whole section off right here. Underneath of that, you have to take off uh, one, two, three, four screws in order to take this plate off to get to the battery compartment. So they've really sort of stack things on top of each other. If you want to dissect this, you basically have to unscrew everything to get the battery out, but the battery is replaceable. And then you put this snap cover back on, like so. But, but 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 I'm sorry, you can charge it without taking the battery out, right? That's correct. So there's a the same uh, USB port that you would use on your cell phone. Right. It's available on this guy for charging. Uh, I got an entire day of shooting on a single charge out of it, and I'm guessing that's because, you know, you're not powering up a screen or anything else. It's just the sensor. So it is really efficient, um, and it is nice that the battery is user-replaceable. Uh, they do have directions on that. It's not very straightforward on how to open and close and sort of get this thing together. Um, the manual I got, even though this is the American version, was still in Japanese. So, uh, you know, you're like, what is this? So this is the part that's a little more confusing. So we have one cap. And then this cap goes over the top of that cap. And if you turn this sideways, you guys can see this. It has a little switch inside that says small and big. And I had no idea what the hell that meant. So, I, you know, I, you click it over. It turns out it just adjusts the opening size so that you can fit your uh, cell phone in there if you have a larger cell phone. And then you pick it back up. And then, of course, it locks it down to a smaller size. So sort of strange, sort of weird. Uh, definitely interesting. Uh, the other thing is to get this off so you can actually access that stuff, there's actually a, a metal slider right here that you have to undo. And oh. then Olympus has plans and uh, layouts for this entire twist-on grip. So there are people already manufacturing little camera phone body things that you can uh, hook onto your phone and then 
clip in. It's, I don't know, Mitch, you got any questions on it? Because I'm kind of confused by it myself. I like it, but I don't know what I'm going to do with it exactly. This, it's intriguing, and I'm glad you're showing it to us because I would have only assumed that you would use a smartphone with it. So my assumption always had in the back of my head was you're going to have a, a smartphone, either you know, close to it or attached to the back of it. I used to do a lot of practicing when, and, and this may initially sound kind of perverted, but I used to, when my kids were in elementary school, I volunteered to do slideshows of the kids and I would periodically show up because I was working from home. I could run up to the school and take pictures at lunch or at little special events and stuff. And I, the kids would end up doing, you know, every time I had my DSLR, if I brought it up to my face, they would do you know, the goofy poses. And I'm like, I wanted natural shots. So I practiced a lot of, you know, shooting with the camera down around my waist or, you know, shooting blind, like you were talking about. And, and I would, or I would put it behind my back and I would just point and shoot, you know, so that the kids wouldn't be doing all of this goofy peace sign crap and smiling. I wanted candids. Uh, so that would that kind of thing would fit in really well. A little sneaky cam, where they, because there's no body on there, they're gonna not think that you're actually taking pictures, right? You're not putting it up to your face or anything else. So, as a stealth cam, that looks really interesting. Yeah, and that's where it really sort of fits in. I've um, let me see if I can bring up some stills here. I just went around and shot in downtown Portland here earlier this week, and I'm gonna share my screen so you guys can. See what Do I you see. You have another monitor on your desk oh, besides yeah. the forty-two inch. Yeah, there's um, well, yeah. So uh, <laughs> there's too many monitors, just too many. Um, yeah. so I'm gonna present this to you guys real quick, so you can kind of see. This is my Lightroom view here, and uh, I went to the zoo, kind of wandered around, was able to get you know a fairly decent shots with like here's an eagle, for example, or you know here's some candids of uh. A vulture. couple of my friends standing around, and that was uh, no eagle. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, no, that was a buzzard, wasn't it? Yes, you're right. Um, and you know, going to like the botanical gardens here, uh, you know, just cool stuff like that. And not all the shots turned out, of course, because obviously I can't quite judge what my frame of view is. But right. you know, a lot of them turned out pretty well. And I was actually very impressed with uh, the quality of this. Now, there is one problem right now I'm running into, and I'll put this out there for anybody that has a solution. Uh, the Olympus format for raw files is currently not supported in Lightroom. So all those photos you saw were uh, JPEG photos. Uh, they're not uh, raw photos. So I haven't got to mess around with that yet. There was a small disk included in the box with this guy so there may be a solution for that but i don't have it right now um also the other thing to note on this guy is that it does get a bit warm and i'm not sure you know what the deal is with that maybe it's just sensor heat dissipation it's not so hot as to burn your hand but it sort of feels like the heat that you get out of the back of a 5d mark three after you've been filming for a while and it may just be that the sensor is on all the time and that's where the heat is coming from. Uh, but something to keep in mind, I'm not sure if that would reduce battery life in the future or whatever, but it does feel a little strange when you're holding onto it and you're like, what, is, what, why am my hands sweating? I don't know what's going on here. What Remind me again, what the megapixel and sensor size is on that. Uh, this is a 16 megapixel sensor in this guy. So pretty much identical to what you get out of the Olympus OEM 5 Mark II or the Panasonic uh, GH4. So sensor size is the same. Uh, Video-wise, you only get uh, 1080p out of this. Uh, 30 and 24, you do not get 4K shooting, which I don't think any of Olympus's current lineup supports. It's also missing that uh, five-axis system that's available in your right. Olympus cameras. But... It's $299. Right. Uh, the other thing I've run into, and I don't know if this is a firmware issue or not, uh, I have one lens that just goes wacky with this thing, and that is the Panasonic 25mm f1.4. Uh, for whatever reason, the shutter just goes all over the place. It takes photos just fine, but the lens is constantly clicking and making weird noises. I don't know if that's Olympus uh, you know, sabotaging the competition 
or <laughs> what is going on exactly. Uh, but other Panasonic lenses seem to work just fine. So not sure about that. But that's the Olympus Air. I should have a full write-up coming to you soon on that. It's very interesting. I'm in love with that little guy. Probably going to hold on to it just because it's so affordable. Uh, speaking of little guys, Mitch, have you seen this Gra- uh, Grava? Am I saying that correctly? Grava camera? It works for me. I don't know how else to say it. Grava? I would say Grava. I'm going to pronounce or get the lettering out. It's G-R-A-A-V-A. So whoever wants to vocabulary check Mitch and I. Come on in. <laughs> this looks pretty cool, man. I'm I I hadn't seen this before. It's it's awesome in that it's I'm I'm jumping ahead, aren't I? You were gonna tell everybody what it does. Okay, so I'm gonna present the screen here so everybody can see this. See this tiny little orange thing right here for um, audio listeners. This is basically a very small box attached to the side of this guy's helmet. Uh, the Grava is not designed to be a GoPro competitor. Uh, it doesn't have 4K shooting. It's missing a lot of uh, the uh, frame rates that are available on other cameras. And it's priced in the reasonable price range of 249 Where it really shines is it's got motion tracking as well as speed tracking and movement tracking as, and location tracking so that it can determine when interesting things are happening to you and then create a video for you in post without you having to do any editing at all now that's a pretty compelling uh you know set of features for 249 mitch what do you think about this man huh very impressive right off the bat in that the biggest selling feature that they tell you about in their videos and in the tech the tech review that you sent, I forgot which website that was. Uh, the fact tech that TechCrunch, thank you. The the fact that you don't have to edit the videos, they're doing some proprietary stuff where they're going through your three hours of GoPro ish kind of video where you turn the camera on and just let it run for a long time, and they do a little summary. So they're finding what they what their software thinks is interesting bits via either motion or uh, unique things that pass through the view that weren't there before uh, to give you a short edited version. Uh, I found it also interesting that you can speak the word Grava and it will mark that as an interesting bit to put in the video for you in the summary. Oh, I didn't see that. That's uh, that's weird. So I don't know. I don't know how they manage. Do they do they only start that after you say the word Grava? I mean, if I don't, I mean, obviously there's a lot of things that we have to see how it works. But the other part of the video that was interesting was that the the TechCrunch interview was that they are really not trying to be a camera company. They're trying to be a software company because they want to not only do this for their little camera, but I think they want to get into the selling of the software bits so that you could just throw a whole bunch of video at their software in the future and have it do a, a either a rough draft or maybe the entire thing. So you no longer have to edit movies, right? You just, there is no more editor. The editor is dead. No, I don't I'm, think that's ever going to be the case. But, 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 you know, for mom and pop, when you've got gobs of video, if if you could have, we've talked about that with, with even photos where they talk about burst mode and you shoot 20 or 30 photos and you want to pick the, the one that's the best, right? Why not have at least maybe a rough draft of a video compilation where you get multiple pieces of video and you throw them in a piece of software and it throws something out for you. I mean, people are doing that all the time now. There's Insta, not Instagram, but uh, somebody will take some of your photos from your week and give you a little video out of it. So there's all kinds of different things going on like that today. So it'll be interesting to see where it goes. This is very reminiscent of uh, Google's camera assistant that's available where you can uh, basically upload your stuff to Google Photo and then it'll generate right. little vignettes for you. It does that with video as well. And I've been getting some 
very interesting like here's a happy song and then here's a horror film shoot you know like little bits of like gore and blood all over the place and it's playing this like doop 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 song um the first thing I thought of uh, when I saw the Grava, I wasn't thinking like, oh, man, this would be great for normal shooting. I was thinking, what about conventions? So imagine for a moment, you know, you have anime conventions, you have comic book conventions, so on. What if you could send your team out with like seven of these? And then anytime you did something that was high motion or had a lot of stuff going on, it would flag those items and then when all seven cameras come back you drop the video footage in and you say i want a 15 minute video or a 10 minute video or a five minute video of what my entire crew did the entire time they were running around this event and you just hit go and bam you can generate something and, and dump Perfect. it out onto the internet and a lot of times like if you're going to nab you'll do the individual booth interviews but then you need a bunch of you know flying around footage of interesting things that happened that you know have nothing to do with like individual bits and right. this would be perfect for that right right perfect that i hadn't thought of that that would especially if you can combine the video from multiple cameras which is what i think they're going to they didn't say it in that tech crunch interview but i think that's probably the direction they're going to because they said they really want to be a software company not just a camera company well, and the other thing that would be really nice is if this could provide syncing with each camera or some way to track where the footage starts and stops. Imagine doing multi-cam shoots where you have like five or six of these uh, sitting around on a table and you're demonstrating something in front of the camera and then you set down something on the table and it realizes there's motion there and cuts to that. Then you do whatever on the table and you go back to talking about it again. That camera realizes that you've moved out of frame and back into the other frame. You could do basic demo videos with three of these and really speed up the process if you could just nail everything you have to say in one single take all the way through. And that would be really... Uh, you know, conducive to people trying to kick out videos every five minutes on YouTube. It's it's a hard market to try and edit all that stuff together. Oh, you aren't kidding. That would make that would make NAB really awesome to cover. Or oh, man. videos or anything else. Yeah. Well think go to the if you ever get a chance to get in the newsroom at NAB, go in there and you'll see a laptop party. And these are people that don't get to leave the room who are just dedicated to editing for whoever's out on the floor bringing in the footage. And if they're lucky, they're cranking out maybe three or four videos um, in a day or maybe yeah. six or seven if they're really just driving hard. And, you know, you can't edit any faster than you can edit. And you don't know what footage is coming in. So you're kind of just figuring it out as they lay it on, on your doorstep and then trying to put everything together. And then rendering and all the other things that go along with that. If there was some way to just be like, here's a computer. It's setting over there doing its thing. I'm using the newsroom a Wi-Fi connection to dump stuff onto the Internet. Bam in a good spot well it's it's actually somewhat reminiscent of the tool that i used this past nab called videolicious because okay. i was recording everything with this thing that i have here that's called a smartphone <laughs> nice um because with videolicious you kind of did your b-roll and you know you'd take three or four ten shots and you would set those in the order you wanted them and then you would Start so then you turn around and the camera starts shooting you. So you do the introduction, you push a button and the B-roll starts playing while you're still doing the voiceover, and you end up creating this video and uploading it. And I was doing most of those within ten minutes of actually being in a booth, right? So I would go shoot some B-roll, go to the side and say, "Hey, this was pretty cool. Look at the B-roll. Blah blah blah. Talk over it." When you're done, you push the upload button and it goes to YouTube. And I had videos like I had a video of the Black Magic announcements. I actually was before the announcements recording the B-roll and then did a little voiceover. And I had that up before the announcements actually came out. So oh, nice. That kind of thing. But so this is, is this somewhat reminiscent of that. If you could actually record and do voiceovers at the same time and have it figure out how to do the edit and then you push the upload button. It's brilliant. Now, we're talking about brilliant stuff. Let's go to something that's not so brilliant, uh, copyright infringement. Here <laughs> we have, uh, and I think we actually might have talked about this guy on a previous cast. Uh, this is a, a clamp that goes around your phone and allows lens adapters. And apparently, uh, well, Mitch, I'll let you explain since you uh, sent this over to me. 
Well, there's not a whole lot to explain. It's it was a very interesting little device. Um, and the only thing that's in that article that I sent you is that the guys who created the Kickstarter project actually went out and used some of the same videos from another Kickstarter. Pro I'm sorry, not videos, but photos, photos right? from the Beast Grip Pro, which was out earlier in 2015. Uh and so Kickstarter's taken the whole project down because of copyright infringement. So the B-Script guys said, hey, that's not fair. They're using our photos, which is really dumb. <laughs> I, I hate to say it, but the, the, the oh, and what the hell's the thing called? I've already forgotten. One, not one grip. What was it nah, called? Shoot, now you got me looking. Uh, B-Script was a company. It's the Indie Vice is what. The uh, one you were just showing. Yeah. Right. And it's, it's like really stupid if they took somebody else's photos without asking, which is really dumb. You never do that. I mean, if you're, if you're trying to raise money, why would you shortcut the process and just use somebody else's photos from a Kickstarter project? Dumb, dumb, dumb. Well, maybe it was one of those we can get people to donate to us and then walk away quickly from the project before we are yeah. caught. I don't know. Uh, they do look a bit different, though. I'm looking at the picture of the indie vice, and this has this kind of eyepiece attachment to it, while the beast grip, um, let me share my screen so you guys can see this here. The beast grip appears to be more of a cell phone clamp with a handle on it, and then this right. uh, screw-on type of deal right here. I don't see the exact photos that were stolen in this Uh I wonder if it was a combination of photoshopping one thing to another because uh, this appears to be sort of half of the segment that we were seeing on this uh, indie vice itself. So right. I don't know. I mean, that, you're right, Mitch. That sounds really lame that, they, you know, they're not even trying very hard to come up with their own product. They're just like, hey, this is good. Let's put a viewfinder on it and a handle and vaguely mention how it's going to work. I think our questions when we originally saw this indie vice was how does the rocker on top actually work? And right. there was like some buttons and things that didn't have any sort of uh, USB attachment or anything like that to the phone. So it was a little bit weird when we first looked at it, if I remember correctly. Uh, yeah. Don't yeah. know why you would do that. But if you start your own Kickstarter, don't go steal somebody's photos because you're not going to yeah. get very far. And it is nice to see that they are enforcing copyright. Hopefully this doesn't get too out of control. Uh, you had stuff like uh, uh, the that 3D printer that used um, goo and a laser. And that I think those guys are getting sued now by another manufacturer of 3D printers because that technology is proprietary. Uh, so they didn't shut down their, their Kickstarter, but it, it could go even further. If uh, someone's like, hey, I don't want you to have a Kickstarter of that because Garage Guy invented something that, you know, corporation owns. Yeah. It's getting something started like that is obviously very difficult. There's a lot of little pieces you got to put together. And I can I can see where somebody would want to shortcut the process because there's a hell of a lot of work that's got to go into creating a Kickstarter and launching it and getting the funding. But be smart about it gosh or i guess don't get caught <laughs> <laughs> yeah don't get caught i actually think i have the email for those indie vice guys i'm going to write them and find out what they say yeah that'd be interesting to get their side of the story on this uh, maybe there's more to it than we know about uh speaking of stories i wanted to show everybody at home this and again the audio listeners lose out this <laughs> is very frustrating so this is a picture of the bottom of the Tascam uh, DR70D. And you'll notice right there that this is a piece of cheap casted metal on the bottom. Uh, after about two months worth of use, this thing has broken apart on me. And there wasn't a lot of weight on there. I had a Canon 6D body on there, which, you know, this guy right here, not super heavy it's got a 512 on it and 
this was enough in combination with that and a few cables to snap that off. Luckily, the camera did not fall to the ground and get smashed and I didn't damage anything. But I thought, well, okay, maybe I just got a defective one. So I started looking around on Amazon and eBay and it turns out there's a lot of reviews of this happening to many, many people. This is apparently an issue that's been brought up and no one said anything. Now, I've got in front of me here the original Tascam DR60 and... If you look at the bottom, this is built into the frame. It's right. still, you know, it's still plasticky, but at least it's inside of the unit. Uh, the the unit, uh, the Tascam DR70D is made so small that this casting here is actually just on the outside with a couple of screws, and then it's shoved into a hole, and that makes it a lot weaker than it was on the original. So uh, keep that in mind if you're using the Tascam DR70D that a little bit of weight can snap that off pretty easily. Mitch, have you had the, uh, any experience with the Tascam DR60D or 70D? Do you shoot with either one of these? I have the 60D, um, thanks to B&H Photo. I got to give them a cash register for that. Uh, I like it a lot, use it whenever I'm recording stuff, but no, I've not done the 70D, and it doesn't make any sense to have that mount be external like you're showing i i'm i mean because not only that but it actually sticks up which is makes the bottom not flat right yeah exactly it's it's raised a bit so it it breaks off pretty easily it's it's pretty unfortunate and uh you know you can see right here this is just a cheaply casted uh, piece of pot metal so it's not even anything solid or substantial it would have been nice if they would have used something a little bit better on that. So just something to keep in mind. It's really awful when your gear breaks like that, especially if you consider your camera flying to the ground. Yeah. What did you call it? Pop metal? Uh, pot metal. Uh, pot. 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 Like uh, the pot is black. The uh, oh. or, mm-hmm. yeah, or you can make, I, I, you know, I'm pretty close to Portland. I suppose <laughs> that's a thing out here. Um. <laughs> No, the the way they cast these uh, in like cheaper uh, kitchenware and whatnot, it's sort of a pour-in process where they use uh, cheap bits of all kinds of metals, and it leaves kind of you can see a gritty, aerated metal format as opposed to something like stainless or or something nicer. Uh, even zinc would have been a little bit better. Uh, so it's brittle and it snaps off very easily. Uh, and that's what this particular portion of the DR70D is made out of. So unfortunate, sort of frustrating, and I've emailed uh, Tascam a few times about it and gotten no response. So I figured I'd post this and make sure that it's out there so that people are aware. Uh, They're not responding to you? Well, I mean, they're a big company. They respond when I want to review unit. They do not respond when I have a complaint. So uh, those are two different stories altogether. Um, I like Tascam products in general, and I do own quite a few of them. So this isn't getting down too hard on their audio quality. It's just that this is a device. It's intended to have your camera mounted to it and then mounted to a tripod of some kind. And if that's the intent, they really need to make sure that all your connections are solid Go get them. Come on, get mad. Camera is going to drop to the ground. Mad DJ, come on, give them a rant. Give them a deep, hard rant. Imagine oh. for a moment, if you will, your five thousand dollar camera and lens combination falls to the ground and crashes and breaks into many pieces because Tascam was just too cheap to use a twenty cent piece of metal on the bottom of your unit. Instead, they use a two cent piece of metal. That's very frustrating. Dang you, Tascam and your cheap ways. <laughs> Uh, on the other side of things, this is only a $200 product, so I mean, I can't get too mad. If you really want everything made out of metal, you should probably go to sound devices or something like that and spend, I don't know, a grand on, you know, your your entire audio kit. So, I mean, it's frustrating. I don't want people to put expensive stuff on there. Maybe mount this to your rig on the side. Uh, the DR70D does have that convenient thumb wheel. Uh, maybe don't rely on that bottom portion. And even if Tascam does respond and say, you know, yes, we're aware of the issue, like what are they going to do about it? It's not like they're going to have you send back thousands of units. No, that's not going to happen. So it'll probably be addressed in the next version slash model slash whatever. 
Yeah, exactly. The ADD. Or, you know, maybe they'll name it the 5D since they seem to really like to follow along with camera names and not make things even more convoluted and confusing than they already are. Ugh. Or you could just go back to the new Canon, scrolling back quickly, ME20F-SH. A name that just rolls off the tongue, right? Yeah, exactly. Ah. Uh. Yeah. All right. That's it for the news this week, guys. I'm about to head off to a production meeting. Mitch, do you have anything to add before we go? I don't have, I don't have anything to add other than... Bye! Bye, Bye everybody! Bye! Bye! Bye. And don't I forget to tell it. folks where they can find you. Oh, uh, you talked right over my daughter. Here. I had a fun time. Now turn that off. I that's an old recording. I, I love that. I found that the other day. I was like, oh, I gotta put that in the show. And a fun time, Dad. Now turn that off. Um they can find me at a place called and planetmitch.com and my new business, smartbusinessplanets.com. We really have a planet thing going on here, don't we? I do, I do. It's kind of a motif, a branding thing, yes. All right, guys, on that note, here's the DSLR Film Noob branding. You can find us on DSLRFilmNoob.com. You can also swing over to SoundCloud or iTunes and listen to this podcast. Watch us on YouTube or anywhere else. We love likes, so make sure you go rate this on iTunes and tell your friends about the podcast. Uh, send us your questions. You can find us on the DSLR Reddit thread or anywhere else DSLRs are discussed. Make sure you swing over to Twitter and talk to us on DSLR or at DSLR Film Noob and at Planet Mitch. Uh, both of those are available for you to attack us with happiness because I don't want to be no charge. No charge. It's free. It is free. On that note, guys, we will see you next time on another exciting episode of DSLR Film Noob Podcast. And for those of you watching, here's the secret of my studio. Oh, what a mess. It's a mess right now. You'll notice they're missing totes back there, and those totes.